0: Hello again. Thanks for joining us. This is Space Nuts. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host. So good to have your company and a very exciting episode coming up. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice there's an extra face, a much prettier face than mine and certainly uh, much (laughs) superior to Fred's. Uh, Now, what we're talking about today is the DART mission, uh, which uh, happened, uh, well, our time yesterday. And we have someone who was on the ground with NASA Uh, to experience it all and watch it all unfold. So uh, that's why Marie-Claire Mercier is joining us on this episode. We're also going to Mars because China has been digging deep into the uh, uh, interior of the planet and made an amazing discovery. And we will have audience questions about uh, the effects of an asteroid impact, strangely enough. And we are going to talk dark force theory, whatever that is. That's all coming up. On this edition of Space Nuts.
1: 15 seconds, guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space
0: Nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space Nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. And we welcome, as always, his good self, Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing
2: Hello,
0: today? I'm wet. Very, very no, yeah, wet. Yeah, I am wet. so, so, I know, I know everyone's in drought in North America and Europe and um, I feel for them as we just came out of a big drought. Seems so long ago now, but it is so wet here. Got rained on again today, rained on yesterday, rained on last week. Just, it's a mess. You look a bit damp, soggy. I have
3: to say. You do look damp and a bit soggy around the edges. Yeah. Um, fortunately, yeah. it hasn't been wet here in Sydney because uh, half our roof was missing for most of the day. Uh,
0: because the oh, uh, storms.
3: Well, no, it wasn't. No, it was just uh, routine oh. routine and- maintenance on the roof, but uh, cho- we chose a bad week for it, or rather the roofers chose
0: a bad week for it. Anyway, we well, had a dry day today. A- I chose a bad that. year, actually. Yes, that's right. It's yeah. Very- yeah. Been it's been raining for them. nearly three years, you know, Fred. Ridiculous. So they tell me. Yes, that's right. Mm. <laughs> also them. joining us is uh, Marie-Claire Mercier. Marie-Claire, it is so nice to have you join us on this edition of Space Nuts. Thank you so much. I know it's um, it's 1.30 or well, nearly 2 o'clock in the morning, your time. So we really appreciate you um, putting the, the, the toothpicks in your eyes and, and staying awake for us. It's fabulous. <laughs> Thank you so much. And welcome.
4: My pleasure. Thank you so much for extending the invite so I can share some of my insights uh, from yesterday's uh, historic event. So really. Yes,
0: yes indeed. It was uh, amazing. Uh, we might as well get stuck straight into it um, if you're ready, Fred, and, uh, and and talk to you about uh, what happened yesterday. Um, Fred, I suppose, just paint the picture for us. What, what was this all about? And then we'll uh, get Marie Claire to explain what she saw.
3: Yeah, the, the DART mission a spacecraft launched back in November last year with a half-ton spacecraft that essentially hit an asteroid by the name of Dimorphos, which is the moon of an asteroid called Didymos. And the idea is to see whether that impact will have changed the orbit of Dimorphos around Didymos because that might be one day the kind of thing that we need to do to deflect an asteroid that could be threatening our planet. And um, I'm going to stop there because we have an expert in the room with us uh, (laughs) who was there when that impact took place, not uh, in front of Demorphus, waiting for it to happen, but certainly uh, in the control room, which is very, very exciting.
0: Indeed, very exciting. Murray-Claire, just uh, tell us how it all unfolded yesterday. How did you get to go in the first place? How did that happen?
4: So uh I think we we were, I just wanted to actually show you guys like uh my shirt. Oh, look at from, the t-shirt um, from the Johns Hopkins uh Applied Physics Laboratory, so official uh part of the team. Um so how did it happen because I believe NASA every time they do have a project or upcoming project they try to um uh, extend the invite to social media influencers or uh, science uh, science aficionados uh, to apply mm. to their slots. And it so happened, and it was uh, last month, I, I, I remember it. Uh, I was browsing through my Instagram, and I was following, you know, NASA accounts, John Hopkins APL, and there was a slot to apply and I applied and they got back to me a week after telling me I got accepted. And uh, the rest was history. Um, see, meeting <laughs> everybody, Indeed from, it was, um, meeting everybody from yeah. NASA and, uh, the lead mechanical engineers and the project managers for the whole DART mission was just very exhilarating and, um, remarkable, um,
0: It was a big day too, wasn't it? I mean, you were there for, um, what, 12 hours or something?
4: Uh, Yes. Basically, we had a full day's agenda because what happened was we had to be there at 8 a.m. There's a lot of security check, very, very tight security. And uh, Mm. not only we met uh, the head of the planetary defense, uh, Lindley Johnson. Uh, I met Dr. Kelly Fast. Uh, and uh, a lot of different people, Dr. Thomas Zerberkin, Dr. Bobby Braun from you know APL, and uh, David Carelli, Lisa Bowman, and uh, they they also allowed us to have a tour of the whole uh, Johns Hopkins uh, APL uh, laboratories and uh, different workrooms. And the funniest thing is that we are we were escorted by so many people because um there are certain areas where you can take pictures but most of the area is very restricted even when you're just walking in a hallway regardless the hallway is just uh plain <laughs> but there may be a scientist carrying a classified record or talking to another scientist carrying another classified record uh record yeah they record or take pictures so it was it, it was um, like how we see it on movies. It, it felt that way when it comes to security. And wow. uh, they now,
0: um, tell us about the experience itself. I, I know you did a few tours and you got to see a lot of uh, the facility. But when it came to the crunch and you were in the room with everybody else watching this uh, this historic moment unfold. Um, what what happened? I, I I did see some of your social media posts, so I, I got a bit of an insight into what was going on. But uh, what, what, from my perspective, I, I got to watch it on a small screen computer at, at my radio station, and um, that that's as that's as close as I got. But for you, it was all big screen stuff by the look of it.
4: It, it is. It was. It was. So basically, it's kind of like watching a real live Armageddon movie. Uh, you know, right, holding right in front of me. And and obviously there was a lot of, you can feel the tension and the pressure uh, in the room because uh, they have mentioned that at that specific moment, we don't know what the would look like, whether it could mm. be a donut-shaped asteroid or whether it just be a clumps of rocks uh, floating in the air. We don't see that until a couple of minutes before impact. So it was really like uh, heart wrenching to say until the final couple of minutes when the Draco camera was already showing at least that it's actually a denser solid uh, target. Yeah, we kind of, like, kind yeah. of like you know, it, it, al-
0: it. Almost looks spherical to me. It uh, did. It almost had a uniform shape about it.
4: Yes, yes. So, um, mm. it, they, they even actually mentioned that we could actually miss the the target. So that was also in everybody's, you know, uh, thinking that ugh, it could be a hit or miss. So we were just praying. Till the last seconds and minutes before impact
0: now what i'm interested to know is that uh from my perspective watching on a little computer screen uh i i, I could see the um uh, the main asteroid uh, in the picture as as uh dart was moving past it and now uh, you could you could get a pretty good insight into what uh what that particular asteroid looked like but as we got to the moonlet uh, dimorphous um, it, it became more and more vivid what what was the the picture definition like from your perspective because uh, I was able to make out rocks and 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 debris on the surface of the uh, the moonlit uh, on a tiny little computer screen how How did it look to you
4: well it, it h- how it looked to you guys is how it looked to us, but it just happened to be in a bigger screen <laughs> yeah. we were, yes yes because what happens is that DART is taking pictures in seconds before the impact. And obviously once those, uh, I think they needed at least three or four pictures because it's a suicide mission, basically, Uh, that that whole satellite is going to be gone. So I think now that they're looking at the pictures and probably it's going to be coming out in, uh, in NASA available once the, uh, the pixels and grains and everything that they fixed after editing the pictures, but as how you guys see it, that's the same thing that we saw, just in bigger screen, just with people screaming in the command center and everybody just like. You
1: know.
0: <laughs> so, so describe those last moments as as the spacecraft was about to to hit. How how did it feel where you were? How did the people respond? How did uh, those that were. Uh, in control until those last couple of minutes. Um, how how were they reacting to the whole situation?
4: Everybody, uh, actually, the moment that we saw how dimorphous looked, we were already like, okay, okay, yes, yes, come on, hit it, get it, hit it. So it's basically kind it's, of like.
0: It's not a donut. What? We're not going to go through the middle.
4: We're <laughs> not going to go through the donut shake. So thank God, thank God, okay, all right. One more minute, a couple more seconds, and here we go. And everybody just started screaming and shouting and, you know, like a moment of really relief that Mm. uh, years worth of of dedication uh, has finally come to an end. But basically, uh, they were able to hit the target.
0: Yeah, I, I heard that the um, the miss margin was like 17 metres, so they were pretty close yeah. to hitting exactly where they aimed,
4: which yes. is fabulous. Yes. Mm.
0: Of course, that's not the end of it, is it? It's the end of the spacecraft. It's done its job. It hit the target at 22,500 miles an hour or whatever the speed was or 14,000 miles an hour, 22,500 kilometres an hour. Now they have to analyse the data and see if it did exactly what they hoped it would do,
4: which is knock the
0: moonlet off off its trajectory slightly.
4: Indeed, I I believe uh, the European Space Agency is also going to have a follow-up project to to see, you know, the after the after effect of, of the impact. So, yeah. I, I have heard
0: they're possibly going to send another craft out uh, at some stage that's the plan I heard it's called Hera H E R A yeah I knew you'd know Fred <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah
3: i I've um, got a I've got a question for Marie Claire if I may yes. and sort of along those lines um so um Dart was accompanied during that uh suicide mission by a little CubeSat called Dicia Cube, uh, which is an Italian spacecraft, yes. uh, which was there to sort of film what happens. I think it followed um, it followed the Darts spacecraft by about three minutes. So the impact itself may well have been recorded by the lissy Cube. Do yes. you have any inside information about when we might see the images from that?
4: That will be still classified until they they put it out uh we actually had yeah. a conference afterwards uh, with the whole team yeah. for dart and they have mentioned that that we secured that uh they have to look at the pictures first and then study the data of, of the, uh, the recording before they put it out in public. yes so
0: Yes. Okay, I, I did see uh, something online today, which uh, I don't know if it was a telescope or, or something, but they did show a sort of a, um, an image of uh, the, the moonlit as it got struck and there was some kind of plume that came off it as, it, um, as the impact happened. But I, I, I don't know if that's real. It looked fairly genuine to me.
3: Yeah, I think ground-based telescopes were actually observing, but this thing's 11 million kilometres away. Yeah, and seemed uh, a bit <laughs> odd to me, but, um, yeah. but anyway, it, it I, might be the, real. The, Who knows? What I heard was that the Lycia cube images um, might be released towards the end of this week. So that okay. sort of ties in, with Marie Claire, with, with your insight there about that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I would I mean, assume we, they're being a... processed
0: by the Italians because it's an Italian spacecraft. Ah uh, okay. Yeah. Uh we've had a question come in from YouTube asking how long it'll be before we get the results. My understanding is days, possibly weeks. What's your understanding, Fred?
3: Oh, for in terms of the orbit, um yeah. It it's, it's a question of, well, the it go, um Dimorphous goes around uh, Didymos once in 11 hours. Roughly, if I remember right, it might be nearly 12 hours, actually, I think. Uh, and so that's a short, quite a short orbit, orbital period. And there should be an immediate effect with this acceleration. Uh, the hope is that it will shorten the orbital period. Um, I think um, that the hope is that it will actually knock several. Tens of minutes off the orbital period, but I think the mission's counted as a success if it knocks ten minutes off the orbital period. So that okay. those results they might take a while to come, but yes, I would guess um, certainly within weeks we we should have some really good insights into that. Mm. What about? Do some. you know any more, Marie Claire, on that?
4: On that, I I that's what I read too. In a couple of weeks, that Yeah. Okay. Words. Good. Yep. Yeah.
0: I got some uh, feedback on that uh, that image I saw of the impact plume and uh we're being told it was in fact a ground-based telescope in South mm-hmm. Africa that took those images. So mm-hmm. it looks like they did actually get vision of the impact from from a, a ground-based telescope which is extraordinary. It's um it's a pretty good uh it, it, if it was a fake it was great. Obviously it's <laughs> it's not it really it really was uh, uh filmed. So That's fabulous. Uh, Anything you'd like to add in conclusion, Marie-Claire?
4: All I can say is
0: wow. (laughs) 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 That's uh, another thing. That's a signal that...
4: (laughs) No, uh, basically, basically, the the, the dark mission is the uh, first planetary defense uh, with with, uh, Hmm. uh, deflecting an asteroid using a kinetic impactor because there are other different methods of of deflecting uh, other hazardous celestial bodies but this is the first time that we're actually doing it in history so yeah. um we made it you know like we were able to also witnesses witness this so this is something that is spectacular and uh, hopefully we don't have experienced that in real time uh, to be doing that but just the, the mere fact of being able to send out a test shoot like that is is uh, is truly remarkable in you know, in science uh, innovation industry
0: quite it is quite so, and uh, as NASA said, if we do nothing, something's going to whack into us one day, so yes, we do need to look at options when it comes to defending the planet, and the other options that have been talked about in the past are gravity tractors, which would need decades to be uh, effective, so we wouldn't have that much notice. I wouldn't think in some circumstances, and they they might not work well on very big objects. Um, the other option is nukes.
1: nukes, and I think Fred,
0: you and I have talked about nuclear, the nuclear option before, and it uh, it has its own limitations. It would be a last resort rather than a first option, because if you hit a rock and blow it to smithereens, that's fine, but then you might be showered in. Dozens and dozens of rocks, which is an even worse <laughs> situation to face. So the deflection option sounds like it's probably the best bet going forward, and uh, we wait with um, bated breath as to whether or not they've uh, they've succeeded. I like um, I like defle- Sorry, go on, Marie
3: Claire.
4: So if you actually, I I just wanted to mention that uh, there is this. We had uh, the opportunity to see a private viewing of this uh, documentary called asteroid hunters. So I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it and it was written and directed by Phil Groves, who was also with us during the viewing. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, as what NASA said, and even uh, the planetary defense have said that that is the most accurate uh, information that one can get when it comes to, to anything deflecting asteroids, you know, as opposed to the mm. movement that we see. So.
3: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, li- I like um, the idea of the kinetic impactor a lot better than the option that you didn't mention, Andrew, for What's changing that? the orbit of an asteroid, painting half of it white. <laughs> um because oh yes, painting Ooh. it white—if you can do that—actually uh, puts an imbalance in the in the thermal properties of the of the object, and you you get you know radiative effects. You've got to have years and years of ha- a warning though, in order for something like that to make any difference at all. But yeah, yeah a go- a good clout is, I think, the most direct way. Um, I loved, forgive me, uh, Marie Claire, but and you will have seen this. Um, uh, as, an, an, as, as a scientist who's many, many times looked at um, the readout of images from astronomical instruments, uh, where basically the, the, the image reads out from one side to another, we do it all the time in uh, astronomical spectroscopy. But I loved that final image from DART where the readout started but then stopped. And so we just got the top, um, you know, the top segment of the image showing the surface of Dimorphos and then nothing, which told you unequivocally that the thing had done its job and been blown to pieces by the impact. Yep.
4: exactly, yep. because it, it went red afterwards.
3: Yes, I saw the red, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which me too, went, yeah. yeah.
0: I think people should be able to um, watch the video if they haven't already seen it on various online platforms and on the news. Uh, but they should be able to uh, go to um, the NASA website and, and look it up and, uh, and watch the, the, the video of it because uh, it, it's worth it's worth watching. Uh, I didn't realise I'd get so excited watching it, um, <laughs> but it, it, you know I got caught up in the moment as it as it got closer and closer, and my eyes just went wider and wider, and finally, <laughs> boom, gone. L.O.S. You, I think is what they said.
3: You were watching history being made, Andrew. As Murray yes, Claire yes, said, indeed. it's
0: a historic moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed, uh, Murray Claire. Thank you so much for staying up in the middle of the night uh, after flying back to uh, your home after such a, an amazing day at uh, NASA to watch the Dart mission. We so appreciate it, and we we're glad we could uh, link up with you and and have a talk about it thank you so much yes. look you're welcome to stay and watch the rest of the show or you can um tuck yourself off into bed it's up to you yes
4: and you know i can't wait to listen to this uh session uh for the next one so again thank you so much it's an Very honor good. speaking to you andrew and fred Thank you so much. Have a good one.
0: No, it's been, it's been a pleasure. And I, I just want to say thank you so much for making yourself available in the wee small hours and um, stay safe. Thanks so much. Yeah. Likewise, Keep up the good work, Marie
4: Claire. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate And I appreciate you guys just, you know, uh, doing what you guys love and sharing everything to us. It's something that I look forward to listening every week.
0: Thank you. We appreciate it, um, and, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Definitely.
4: Sleep tight. Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye-bye.
0: Okay. Bye. Bye, Marie-Claire. Thank you. Bye. And this is Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson. Roger, you're
4: a here also. Space Nuts.
0: Uh, now Fred let's move on to our next topic which is Mars related and this involves a Chinese rover that's uh, made a fascinating discovery and it adds more weight to what we were probably thinking about Mars's um you yeah, know we'll call them salad days when it when it <laughs> uh, had liquid water when it yeah. uh, you know, had um properties similar to Earth until all of that was blown away by its uh it's unfortunate, uh, weak gravity situation. Yeah, that, this it's
3: really interesting, and and some of the details of this have surprised me. I have to say, Andrew. Um, so this is results from the Zhurong rover that we know has been working on Mars pretty well since the. Perseverance landed. They they both caught the same window to get from Earth to Mars back in July 2020, was it they were launched? I think that's right. Uh, Mm. And um, Perseverance landed in February 2021. Uh, Jurong, if I remember rightly, uh, I think stayed in orbit for quite a while before the rover was deployed down on the surface. Um, and it's been very successful. It's uh, working well. It's um, a, a smaller rover than Perseverance. It uses solar panels for its power source, uh, and uh, we've seen some lovely images from it. Actually, some really quite remarkable stuff, um, including uh, wasn't it? Oh no, that, no, that was um, that was Chang'e, the, the one that had a tent on the horizon. Of or a shed or something that was on the moon, uh, one of these images that looks like something else, the good old uh, pareidolia coming into play to um, to make us think we're seeing something that we're not. Anyway, yeah, yeah. that's not part of the story. Uh, what's, um, what makes Jirong interesting is that it has a quite sophisticated ground-penetrating radar system, <coughs> which um, works at two frequencies, um, <coughs> excuse me, high-frequency radio waves that um, actually give you really detailed images down to about 10 metres under the ground. Uh, But then if you want to look further, you go with low frequency, and because it's lower frequency, you get um, uh, not as good detail, you don't get the same resolution. But that will take you down to 100 metres, which is really quite extraordinary. Getting Penetration of radar to hundred meters below the surface. I know, uh, yeah, is
0: that is amazing.
3: Yeah, very significant. So um, what what uh, the scientists have done is identified um, different layers within the ground beneath the Jurong uh, rover, uh, and there's uh, uh, two two layers which have sparked their interest. One which is somewhere between 10 and 30 metres below the surface, uh, and another one which is somewhere between 30 and 80 metres. So a de- two distinct layers. Um, it's uh, th- th- These numbers are a bit vague, probably because those layers are actually they vary in depth and uh, jurong 's got the capability of driving across the surface and and actually probing ground penetrating radar at uh, you know in different places so those uh, layers though uh, the the upper layer is relatively thin the older layer is relatively thick, uh, and both of them have um, probably reflections that speak of large boulders uh, which are sort of down at the, uh, you know, at, at the base of whatever layer we're looking at with with smaller boulders settling on top. And this is being interpreted as the possible result of flooding uh, that was actually really quick. Um, what uh, one news outlet has described as catastrophic flooding. Uh, mm. So something that took place really quickly and uh they i what they do is they identify these two layers with two flooding episodes uh which uh the lower one uh was probably in the region of 3 billion years ago maybe uh, a little bit earlier than that in fact um something like uh you know the time that we think mars was Was a wet, warm, and wet world. That's uh, looking back to the, the, you know, the era when, uh, when, basically when, when we we think those uh, ocean sediments were laid down in the northern hemisphere of Mars, and probably when the flooding was taking place at Jezero Crater, which is where Perseverance is. Um, And I should mention that uh, the Jurang rover is is actually a, in a region called Utopia Planitia, uh, which is a, basically a huge plain area, not that far actually from Jezero Crater where where Perseverance is, but certainly too far for them to meet up and shake hands or whatever mm. they do when you're a rover. Um, so <laughs> that's that 3 billion-year-old sediment is kind of what you'd expect, but then the upper se- sediment, is suggested to have been created by a flood only 1.6 billion years ago uh, and that is much more recent of course in the in Mars's past and it's yeah. it's outside the region when we think liquid water existed and so something's happened at that time uh, there mm. we know there were there were glaciers on Mars at that time and maybe you know there was some sort of uh, i don't know some sort of uh, climatic uh, anomaly uh, maybe they had a, a, a an El Nino event uh, on Mars which is caused by water but doesn't happen on Mars but you know what I mean, you, you've got a, a warmer period than usual and so perhaps some glacial melting uh, which gave you this flood uh, and deposited these boulders in the region underneath uh, Xirong, only 1.6 billion years ago. So that's r- really interesting interpretation. Now, this all comes with a caveat, because um, with the equipment that um, the Chinese rover has got, you can't separate or you can't distinguish between um, sedimentary material, which is stuff deposited by water, or lava, which is not mm-hmm. stuff deposited by water. And in no. fact, um, we've recently seen some results um, which I think came from Perseverance's uh, radar um, detection, because uh, Perseverance also has uh, subsurface radar, uh, which showed that maybe Jezero Crater itself has a layer of lava uh, underneath it, underlying it, there's there's quite a lot of really interesting stuff coming out about this at the moment. Um, not the, with with this inability to distinguish between sedimentary rock and and um, basaltic rock, lava, um, so mm. igneous rock. So um, that the jury's still out on that. But um, the likelihood, though, seems to be that these boulders might very well have been formed by a flood of some kind, the ones that have been detected by the Chinese rover. Uh, And, um, well, we we wait to see whether any more information might come come out about that. Uh, And it is even possible that there is ice underneath there as well. The Mm. authors of the work um, say that they can't actually eliminate that possibility, that there might be
0: salty ice underneath the surface. Quite incredible. And look, it stands to reason that lava is a plausible explanation because a new theory about the death of the dinosaurs has surfaced uh, in the last week or so, suggesting that, yes, the asteroid uh, impact or impacts, mm-hmm. as we recently discussed, uh, certainly were yeah. major contributing factors, but uh, they also have um, found that there was a lot of volcanic activity uh, but, yeah. Around that time, too, which might have finished them off off and they they 've um, suggested there was at least one lava flow that covered an area as big as continental Australia, which yeah <laughs> you know that yeah. imagine the effect of that, yes. That, yes, that's right. That's, um, uh, I, I
3: have seen some of that. Not, not recently, I have seen um, work that suggests that it was partly volcanic as well. And there's the possibility mm. that it was an impact that actually shook up the volcanism. Uh, oh, you know, very so that likely, you so that got, you, if, if, if you get a cloud by a 15-kilometer diameter asteroid, it could do all kinds of things to the, to the tectonic uh, activity in the region. At the very least, put an extra hole in your head.
0: Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah.
3: If you're a dinosaur, that's
0: right. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> but uh, it's a fascinating discovery. And hasn't China been amazing with everything that they're yeah. uh, they're doing? Yeah. Uh, and, and from what I've been reading recently, they've got bold plans. They um, they're looking to get to Mars. They're looking to um, um, put uh, well a rover on Mars. Uh, they're going to take the UAE with them. Um, Mm -hmm. everybody's um, sort of um, got their eyes focused on China because they're they're really doing some extraordinary things, as is NASA, though, as we just discussed. But, uh, yeah, yeah, China's certainly galloping along in leaps and bounds uh, when it comes to, uh, what have I heard people call it, Space Race (laughs) 2.0. Well, it's good. And, um, you know, Space Race to Mars
3: is... Is a good thing
0: because it'll tell us more about Mars. <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, yeah. it will indeed. All right. Um, I, I yeah, I, and I, I hope there's more to uh, tell about what uh, the Chinese rover has discovered beneath the surface. I'm just so amazed by the technology that can get so, down so deep on on a rocky planet like. That. Yeah, that's mm. right. It's pretty good going. Yeah, it is. You're listening to and perhaps watching Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson. <laughs>
2: You're listening to Space Nuts, the podcast about astronomy and space science, with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson.
0: Who's Pretty sure that? I just said that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? That's, that's a new, that's a new, um, new person. Ah, a new little thing there. Whoa. Yes, ah, ah. <laughs> I've been playing with my equipment. I can tell. Let me rephrase. <laughs> I've been playing with the new digital equipment. Yes. Um, dear Eddie. Uh, Let's do some questions. I'm going to hand it over to Bob from North Carolina. Uh, He's got a ripper for us, which uh, works well with what we've been discussing on this episode in regard to the DART mission.
1: Good morning. This is Bob from Asheville, North Carolina in the United States. In a prior message, I think I heard Dr. Watson say that an asteroid impact would actually be more devastating if it landed over water than over land. And this seems pretty perplexing because you can just imagine there'd be a lot more damage done if it it hit land. So the question is, what actually happens when these asteroids hit the kind of damage they cause? And I also wonder, what if it hit in some unique places, Uh, maybe Greenland, the Arctic, or even the Antarctic? And it it didn't just collide, but it actually either melted all the ice or, or dislodged it so there were massive... Repercussions after the initial impact had uh, occurred. Uh, thank you. I, I love the show and look forward to hearing your answer.
0: Thank you, Bob. Lovely to hear from you, and a great question. And uh, yeah, water or land? Which which would be worse? I think you. I think you have talked about this before.
3: Yeah, it's and I, I think that you know the answer as always with these things is it depends yeah <laughs> and what one of the things it depends on is is the mass of the asteroid how big it is you know whether we're talking about something uh that is a dinosaur killer uh in which case it doesn't really matter where it lands uh, or something a bit smaller than that and i've seen oh. recently um simulations now i think they were in connection andrew with that remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about an asteroid, or it might be a couple of months ago, uh, an asteroid impact off the coast of Africa, which has yes. been kind of uh, linked with the Chicxulub impact, the, yes. the dinosaur killer. And that certainly landed in what was then an ocean. I think it was relatively shallow ocean. But the simulations showed um, – uh, the the impact and the first thing that happens is this sort of hollow cylinder of water is raised to an enormous height uh with the sort of centered on where the asteroid hit uh and that basically kicks off a tsunami uh which Probably would go all the way around the world at least once, um, as I think that the you know the idea with the Chicxulub event was that it did that too because that hit in a shallow sea as well the what's now the Gulf of Mexico. So yep. um, that that's one effect. But when you've got something as massive as that, the, the water as massive as, as the dinosaur killer, the fifteen kilometer one, the water really. Uh, is, a, is almost an aside. Uh, it probably puts a lot of steam into the atmosphere because of the heat of the of the impact. Um, hmm. But you know, it's it, when you look at um, when you look at the simulation of an impact like that, you can see that the rock itself behaves almost like a liquid. Um, it gets pummeled by this thing. There's a huge crater formed, and then it bounces back. And this all takes place within a matter of minutes. And you get yeah. a mountain range higher than the Himalayas, um, which then collapses uh, just because the energy is involved. So I think at the end of the day, with a big impact, it, um, it's not going to make much difference. But with a smaller one, it might do. And maybe the tsunami would be more devastating than the local
0: uh, sort of explosive damage that you would that you would get Uh, didn't we discuss some time back that there had been a study done that suggested it wasn't so much the size of the object hitting us but what part of the earth it hit depending on what was in the crust
3: that's another aspect of it as well yes Mm. i mean um, in in the end size is everything but you know there are, there are, it's a nuanced um, thing uh, depending exactly as you say on what what sort of the materials are there and i can't remember there was something was it um potassium rich rock i think that story was connected with that said that something like that would do more damage than than you know m- milder forms of rock i can't remember the details but yes i think yeah. you're right um that's that's certainly true
0: just as a, as a little aside, um, I suppose it is somewhat related. You talked about the the way water would plume if um, yeah. an asteroid hit an ocean or, or a sea. Uh, the Tonga volcano I read the other day um, uh, blasted 50 million tonnes of water into the atmosphere, which they think yeah. is going to affect our climate for a few years, uh, possibly well, maybe... make us a bit warmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm. That was fascinating. Um, it's certainly a uh, that explosion was, yeah, it was comparable with a, you know, a reasonable sized asteroid coming in. So imagine, yeah, maybe 50, 60 meters or something like that.
0: So, uh, uh, I mean, technically speaking, we got to experience the effect without the <laughs> total destruction of the planet. <laughs> Although it was uh, pretty devastating for the locals, which um, uh, they're still coming in groups with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. Lovely to hear from you and a terrific question, given what we've been seeing from NASA this week. And now, uh, look, I hope I got your name right. I'm not sure. It's uh, I think it's Boz in The Hague. And this is um, a fascinating question that we're going to um, have a bit of a talk about.
2: Hey, guys. This is Boz from The Hague in the Netherlands. I love the show. A um, couple of questions. Um, I've been reading uh, the three-body problem, trilogy by Cixin Liu. Um, and in recent episodes, you guys were talking about the Drake equation and Dyson spheres and the James uh, the James Webb Space Telescope, making all these uh, exciting discoveries on exoplanets. But I've been curious uh first of all do you guys know about the dark uh, forest theory uh his uh, second book but also the theory that comes along with it and if you do i'm really curious what your guys opinion is about that theory and third final question is uh with the james webb space telescope making all these uh, fascinating beautiful discoveries should we actually be looking for extraterrestrial life or is that something that might even be and a uh, danger to our civilization and humanity and stuff like that. Um, Once again, love the show. Would like to hear from you guys. Keep up the good work. See you.
0: Thank you. I hope it's Boz, but um, thank you anyway. Lovely to hear from you. Hope all, all is well in the Hague, one place I didn't get to visit while I was in the Netherlands uh, about four years ago, but um, maybe I'll get back there one day. It's, it's uh, a Fred, lovely spot. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we only hear um, about it uh, in the news from time to time for all the wrong reasons. Well,
3: there's a really good reason why we should talk about The Hague. And that is Mm. that it was in The Hague on, I think, the 23rd of September, 1608, that the telescope first appeared in the historical record. And um, Marnie and I went there on the 400th birthday and celebrated with a cake that was made for us by the cake makers to the Dutch royal family uh, that had a chocolate telescope on top. We had a party with all our tour guests there back in 2008 to celebrate the 400th birthday of the telescope. Yeah, it's a great spot. Some Mm. fantastic history there, great scenery. Schweningen is the name of the seaside town that's associated with it. So
0: great spot. Mm. Should go next time, yeah. Andrew. I, I <laughs> no. should indeed, yes. I'd love to. <laughs> so now, um, Boz asked about the three-body problem. Now, I've just done a bit of um, a quick look, and it was by a Chinese writer, uh, Lu um, Shijin. Uh, it's um, the first volume of a, of a series. Uh, now, I understand it's science fiction, but... Um, I've never heard of it, and I haven't read it, so obviously I'm not in a position to to comment on it. Um, but I think it I think, brings into being dark force theory. Yeah, I think one of our, um, I think we've had
3: a listener question before on the three body problem, uh, right. or maybe it was uh, on a broadcast that I was doing w- with a listener question. I can't remember, but it certainly crossed my path before. So I don't know mm-hmm. what the dark force is that's in that book uh, that the author has um, identified. But there is, th- there is a constant um, speculation in the world of physics that the four fundamental forces of nature that we recognise, uh, the strong and weak nuclear forces, the fu- the electromagnetic force and gravity, that those forces are not all that there is, and that there is a fifth force, which is sometimes called quintessence uh which uh-huh. uh, has been uh, actually has been uh, identified by some m- as maybe what causes the dark energy that we see in the universe uh, mm. and that's perhaps where the link comes from the dark bit so um quintessence at the moment it comes and goes you know it pops up every now and again in uh, physics papers and then disappears for a while it's one of these things that's uh, a bit unfashionable and, and or fashionable and unfashionable but then um it may well be that we finally do secure some observations that might reveal that there is a fifth force and There is work that's gone on quite recently, and it's about the decay of the W boson, which is one of the forces that carries the weak nuclear force, uh, that it behaves in a peculiar way that some have said is an indication of new physics and perhaps will lead us to the fifth force, the dark force so that mm. there's work going on with that and um I, I probably should be more across it than i am but it does come and go as i said it's it's a bit like fashion it um you know s- suddenly we're all talking about quintessence and suddenly we're not anymore <laughs> um yeah. but it's it has been linked uh as a you know as a as a perhaps a, a source or reason for the for the dark energy that we we believe, is what's causing the universe to expand ever more rapidly. So those two, I think, are linked together. Yeah. So – Now, the
0: third – was there more, or do you want to go to the third? No, I was going to go – yeah, move on to the the next bit. Right. Yeah. Should we look for ET? Um,
3: Well, yes, we should. Um, Mm, As long as – I agree. As long as we – because looking doesn't actually uh, make us dangerous. Uh, Sorry, it doesn't bring us – uh, it doesn't put us at any higher risk than we are already from ET yep. finding us um because the you know we as a species have advertised our presence for a long time uh not just by radio waves um which are emanating in a sphere in space which is now something like um, probably 140 light years in diameter uh, if you count the um, you know the the first uh, high power radio signals in the 1930s as being when we became radio bright in the in the universe um mm. that's there's that as well as the fact that you know the, the the earth is fairly bright in the visible spectrum as well because of all this light pollution that comes from cities uh which are easy to detect so we we're already advertising our presence and there isn't you know, the, the, the idea of searching for extraterrestrial intelligence is not one way you go out and say, is anybody there? Even though there is there are plans to do that, uh, that's still a problem that I think needs ethical consideration. Uh, but um, it's the, the, the search for ET is really basically um, a, a search... Using the same equipment that we use to study astronomy uh, and space science—it's—it's—it's it's, it's telescopes, it's things like the James Webb Space Telescope. It's not sending things out there, although there are probes out there, of course—the the five spacecraft that are leaving the solar system—they are—they're also um, markers of humankind. So we're, we've already done it; we've already advertised our presence. So what we're doing now, in terms of looking, is not necessarily dangerous you've given me
0: an opportunity to play with a new toy oh good you ready good. for this yeah because yeah. i'm going to quote pink floyd
2: is there anybody out there
3: <laughs> you like that that's very good yes uh, you very were perfectly creepy. in perfectly in sync there <laughs>
0: very creepy um,
3: yeah the answer might well be no but um mm-hmm. that shouldn't stop us from looking
0: well, yeah, and we are looking uh, we're looking for the same things that we produce light, radio yeah. uh, which is a form of light uh, we're also looking for um, spectrum signs uh, in yeah. their atmosphere for yeah. things that they have made that aren't natural um, what else are we looking for
3: well uh, uh, the point I was going to make was the, the reason why yes spaceships are a good one uh, the reason why we're we're not why, it's, why we shouldn't stop looking is because uh, we use the same technology to make discoveries about the universe as we do to try and find extraterrestrial life. So, you know, it's all part of building up our store of knowledge. Um, mm. Yeah, that's uh, spaceships is an interesting one because, you know, maybe one day a piece of space junk that would turn up that might not be able to be explained by human, uh, human sources, uh, a bit like didn't, that thing that crashed that into to the North backside Palmer? of the moon.
1: Oh, did that happen father. to a
3: farmer
0: in southern New yeah. South Wales recently? It turned out it to be did. SpaceX or something. Yeah. I was
3: going to say it said, except it said SpaceX on it. But yeah. um, the one that crashed into the backside of the moon that nobody has owned up to, that's an interesting mm-hmm. one. That is. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I I, have my suspect. Yes, yeah. I know you do. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Boz, thank you. Great set of questions made uh, for some interesting discussion. Uh, but, yes, I think looking for ET is a good idea until we find them and they don't like us. Hmm. Then, we'll, well, uh, then, we'll, but, then we'll throw rocks at them.
3: Yeah, it won't be by looking for them that they'll find out about us. That's the no, point.
0: Exactly. <clears throat> Good point. All right. Um, just about time to call it quits. Uh, it's been a long but very interesting show with Marie-Claire Mercia joining us uh, after her trip to NASA to watch up close and personal the DART mission uh, yesterday, our time. Uh, but if you do have questions for us, uh, jump onto our website, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io. Click on the AMA link and you can send us a text question or you can send us an audio question or there's a tab on the right-hand side to send audio only, and all you need is a, a device with a microphone, like this one, <laughs> See? think. Yes. Ah, yes. And um, I'm replacing that, by the way. I'm getting a new one. It's going to be much bigger and in-my-face type of scenario. <laughs> uh, but, um, yes, so please send us your questions, and don't forget while you're there to catch up on uh, the back catalogue, our past episodes. Uh, please leave r- your reviews on your favorite podcast distributor because uh, the more reviews, the more we get noticed, and the more people who join us, and the more fun we have. Uh, you can also uh, visit the Space Nuts shop where you can find all sorts of goodies. Oh, I forgot to tell Marie Claire, but she'll pick it up in the recording. Um, we're sending her some presents for joining us today, <laughs> so she'll get a couple of little surprises in the mail. And, and what we'll uh, surprise? Going oh, <laughs> garbage. <laughs> I forgot to do it. Well, you will remember now. Uh, Fred, thank you as always. It's been a great pleasure.
3: It's always a pleasure, Andrew, and thank you for your patience as well.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, it's a joy. There's no impatience required at my end, that's for sure. Thanks, right. Fred. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. <laughs> Fred Watson, astronomer at large, joining us on this edition of Space Nuts, and thanks for your company. We'll look forward to your company on the very next episode. From me, Andrew Dunkley. And farewell to our live audience. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you again on the very next episode, whenever that will be. We've, we've yet to decide. We're we are about de- to do that. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs>